0: Howdy, everyone, and welcome to Radio Cloud Native from Mirantis, where we break down the world's the world's news, the week's news, the week's world's news on Kubernetes, the cloud-native ecosystem, open source, and the wider world of tech. I'm Eric Gregory. And I'm John James. It's a whirlwind of news this week with KubeCon Europe in full swing in Amsterdam, a new Kubernetes release fresh out of the oven, and much more. So let's hop right to it. Indeed. Kubernetes 1.27 codename Chill Vibes is out in the wild as of last week. The release team posits this as a calm release, but it's not without some important changes and enhancements. Here are some of the headlines as well as smaller or more experimental changes that caught our eye. First, the registry train changed. We've been talking about this for a year. Everyone's been talking about this for a year, but the Kubernetes image registry actually changed from kates.gcr.io to registry.kates.io. The old one's frozen, 1.27 isn't going to be released on it, and we're all just going to pretend it never existed. (laughs) Uh, Setcomp profile defaulting graduated to stable and can be enabled by running the kubelet with the setcomp-default command line flag. This causes the kubelet to use the container runtime setcomp profile, which should lead to more consistency and predictability and some generally improved security baselines with fewer system calls readily available to container workloads. If you're looking to enable this across nodes, you'll want to take a look at the discussion of upgrade strategy on the Kubernetes enhancement proposal on the Kubernetes GitHub under SIGnode. This KEP is 2413-seccomp by default with uh, hyphens between the words there. Uh, so you can check that out and see how they advise you to upgrade or downgrade or whatever you need to do. Next up, enhancements for more granular scheduling based on pod readiness reached beta. With a new scheduling gates field in the spec, you can define when a pod is actually, rather than nominally, ready for scheduling. So you don't get a lot of wasted, wasted effort with the system trying to schedule pods that look ready to go but are actually missing essential resources. The next feature is time zone support in cron jobs. Previously, time zones for cron jobs were derived directly from the kube controller manager's native time zone. Now you can set it directly and schedule things across regions much more cleanly.
1: Mm, mm, mm.
0: Moving on to some enhancements at earlier stages, we have an alpha feature that lets you access service logs for a given node via the Kubernetes API, grabbing data from either journal D on Linux or the application log provider on Windows. If you want to try that out, you can enable the not node log query feature gate. Finally, for stateful applications, the rewrite once pod mode for persistent volumes and persistent volume claims has graduated to beta. This lets you give read-write volume access to just one pod, so you can be sure that only a single pod writes to a volume at a given time and avoid write skew or other problems. This mode's been around for a while, but it's a really useful tool in the tool belt for stateful apps, so it's good to see it progressing toward wider availability. And that's by no means all. For a full list of changes, you can check out the Kubernetes blog at kubernetes.io.
1: Pretty calm vibe. I mean, you know, calm on the calm side.
0: (laughs) Feeling chill. It's you know, it's nice to see a, a software release that's like, hey, we're just we're just chilling here, we're just putting out some nice quality of life stuff. Uh but know, it,
1: just- yeah, it's also nice that that, you know, everyone is in Amsterdam. <laughs> right. <laughs> For <laughs> and they, and they don't do a release that like makes people immediately call the home office and spend all night, you know, changing yeah. all the source code because, oh my God, broken, you know, non back compatible deprecated feature. Oh my god, oh my god.
0: Was that a deliberate alignment, I wonder? I don't know. I'm,
1: you know, could have been, could have been. Although, can you imagine? I, I mean, there must have been some effort. Certainly, it wasn't beyond them that Kubicon was this week. But can you imagine aligning a, a Kubernetes release to a trade show? <laughs> the, the the hassle, particularly since half the engineers are actually in Amsterdam now, giving Indeed. talks on what they've been doing for this release. Well, I, I you know. More power to them.
0: And uh, speaking of Amsterdam right now, the festivities for KubeCon Europe are rolling as we speak. Uh, so, you know, with that comes the usual tidal wave of news releases planned for the week. Uh, everything coming out uh, in a very orderly fashion. So let's talk through some of the highlights so far. Uh from the CNCF, we uh, saw an announcement of the completion and results of a third party Kubernetes security audit aimed at identifying gaps and hardening the overall security of the system. This was conducted by NCC Group over the summer of 2022 using Kubernetes 1.24. And the headline results focused on administrative practice of user and network permission restriction. Uh, first of all, this was this was the top line thing we talked about, and I thought that was kind of interesting With People are doing it wrong, <laughs> was one of the headlines there. Um, also, uh, you know, aside from that potential for human error, which maybe isn't so surprising, the audit identified flaws in user input sanitization and intercomponent authentication, which could allow for some, some privilege escalation. Uh, so plans are in place to address those. Elsewhere in cloud native security, Aqua Security announced that the open source Trivi security scanner has added support for scanning a cluster for compliance with Center for Internet Security Kubernetes Benchmarks, often CIS, CIS Kubernetes Benchmarks, a set of widely adopted configuration standards. With any luck, this will provide an additional boost in addressing widespread Kubernetes configuration issues. Trivi is used by many tools across the cloud native landscape, including our own Lens Desktop and CNCF projects like Artifact Hub. Java developers got some exciting news with the CNCF's announcement that the Java Operator SDK is now part of the Operator Framework. The JOSDK provides a high-level framework for building Kubernetes operators in Java, and hopefully, its integration as an official subproject will help foster and maintain standardization across those frameworks. Finally, a bit of CNCF news that came out shortly before KubeCon: the CNCF accepted Authentication Toolkit Keycloak as an incubating project. Originally built by Bill Burke and Stian Thorson, KeyCloak is an easy-to-implement and scale IAM service that you can use to authenticate on both the end-user and the infrastructure side. And according to the project's GitHub page, it's been used in production by folks as diverse as CERN, Cisco, and Hitachi, and Okta, and United Healthcare. The list goes on and on. Uh, you can check out the project for yourself on GitHub at KeyCloak slash oh, KeyCloak. I can think of
1: other people who use it as well, can't I?
0: <laughs> some some notables uh stepping back from the kubernetes world uh john you've observed some different sorts of vibes across the industry the yeah there
1: there seems to be a little vibe shift happening in the ai discourse um you know my antennas are out on twitter and blue sky and a number of other platforms and i follow most of the principal actors and over the past two weeks um, what's You know, what's happened? Well, let me tell you about a few of the dots, you know, and then we can talk about connecting them. Um, About a week ago, Sam Altman, who's the head of OpenAI, answering a question from Lex Fridman, they were at an MIT meeting, um, said that the company was not training GPT-5 yet, which comes as something of a surprise, um, you know, up to that announcement, which seems pretty unambiguous. They were talking about moving right ahead and training the larger, you know, versions. Uh, Altman later followed up his statement by clarifying that for the moment, OpenAI is instead focusing on enhancements and refinements to GPT-4. Recently, like late March, these included release of a plugin that lets ChatGPT-4 browse the web, which has obvious benefits and equally obvious risks. For users of the ChatGPT-4 API, it simplifies certain tasks and enables certain kinds of apps to be created even more trivially. And that API is actually pretty simple to use. So you can tell ChatGPT4 to go read a URL instead of curling the URL and handing it the text. Mm. Um, everybody uh, listening has probably seen by this time thousands of very thin application wrappers for GPT that uh, that are now showing up. And, you know, some of them seem to be companies and some of them seem to be sideline projects and they all are cute. Uh, they're all applications of the API and they help you. Mostly present documents in various formats to ChatGPT without the hassle of document conversion, cutting, pasting into the chat box, and all the rest of it. And there's sort of a beginning of uh, of workflow automation that we're pretty sure will shortly result in stuff you know that every enterprise in the world uses, like Salesforce and every marketing automation, content management suite will all incorporate this kind of workflow functionality for helping people build documents and design websites and do everything right. Um one of them that we found just today <laughs> called chat PDF um adds the enormous value of just being able to eat, you know, now now it eats PDFs. <laughs> you know, so you can point Yum. it towards the URL of a PDF. You can upload a PDF from your desktop and then you can um then you can ask uh Chat GPT questions about your, you know, about your PDF and it will answer them intelligently. It's it's uh, you know, um it's not rocket science, given, you know, that we've seen, you know, the API and this stuff is fairly simple, but it's a remarkably neat presentation at uh, chatpdf.com. And uh, it absolutely works. Um, over the past two weeks, then, uh, uh, meanwhile, the the center of effort for independent chat developers has been, you know, doing some interesting things. A lot of new people have started uh, using the API, you know, thousands at this point. And they're and they're fooling around with the means of granting GPT a, a primitive kind of agency via prompt chaining. Um, this is something that people were talking about last year. Um, but now people are, are are doing it and kind of exploring how it works and getting their heads wrapped around it. And you know, what it is is a is a way of letting GPT execute a simple plan over several operant steps and then re-execute parts of it as necessary until it receives, you know, until it generates a a result that it judges optimal and people are applying it in like, um, continuous code debugging. It will, um, you know, it will happily follow steps to, uh, to, uh, you know, make changes to a program, test the program, um, you, you know, look at the error messages, hypothesize about the, um, you know, the reasons for any further error messages and just burn down the error list until the program works, Um, which is maybe a baby step beyond the debugging help that's now provided by CodePilot and some other, you know, projects. It's certainly not agency. I mean, you can't reduce the, the problem of intelligent agency to a simple rinse, repeat formula. But, you know, you know, if you're a paramecium, that rinse, repeat works, works pretty well, right? Mm. (laughs) You know, here is, you know, we're a single cell. Our job is to survive. What do we do next? Okay. What do we do after that? What do we do after that? What do we do after that? Um, Meanwhile, the, the, the folks who support the six month AI moratorium are, are, Talking it up all over. Gary Marcus, a professor at NYU, spoke today at World Summit in AI in Montreal via Zoom about the need to create a global agency for AI aimed at uh, governance and technical solutions for safe, secure and peaceful use of AI technology. Uh, On April 13th, the European Data Protection Board announced, as did uh, uh, Spain's analogous body, that they would launch preliminary investigations into potential data breaches by ChatGPT. This seems like um, an extreme wording and maybe it's a translation problem. We don't actually think ChatGPT or its makers have done any hacking. But it's um, it's a good reminder that just because data is available on the public internet doesn't mean it's not use limited, you know, within the jurisdictions of the people who put it there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is something that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to actually, you know, rein in Uh, as we train uh, models. Uh, Finally, folks who oppose AI hype and uh, support careful examination of claims by solution providers and pundits, people who support ethical use of AI and real AI governance are absolutely keeping busy. And among Mm -hmm. our favorites in this small but capable crew is Dr. Emily Bender, who's a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington Computational Linguistics and who directs the professional MS program in computational linguistics there. She was, among many other things, co-author on the famous stochastic parrots paper of a couple of years ago, which is, and everybody should read this, the best mm-hmm. possible reminder that what ChatGPT and you know it's its ilk are, are are doing isn't really intelligence and why thinking that it's intelligence becomes problematic very fast. Um for the past several years, Bender has been doing a super well thought out takedowns of all kinds of AI hype claims and stories on a frequent basis. And she's recently pulled together links to these on her Medium page. Um, hopefully, we will be displaying the URL of that Medium page in some clickable format. Um, in the past week, she's dinged a 60-minute story. Um, in which Sundar Pichai of Google uh, claimed that their LLM had learned Bengali without being specifically trained on it and saying that this is an example of an emergent property. Bender pointed out that Bengali and Bengali to English texts were actually part of the training data, which is public. So Mm -hmm. this claim is, well, it's not true exactly. Mm -hmm. And
0: this is really directly emergent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Though it does, at least to me, point up the fact that these big llms can learn a language to some low level of fluency by just looking at sparse texts mm-hmm. which is you know, not emergent or unexpected but it's still pretty impressive yeah. uh, the story on 60 minutes goes on to present peach i saying that uh, google has now started a new project to make their ai fully competent in a thousand human languages which is you know pretty amazing so what does this vibe shift mean you know we suggest that you don't make any investment decisions based on what a couple of guys on the Internet say. But our suspicion, or maybe just my suspicion, if Eric wants a little distance from Let's this, here, yeah. is that, you know, yeah, limit the blast radius, is that time for reflection must have been built into open AIs and Microsoft's and Google's marketing plans for AI all along. I, I you know... E- They released this stuff. They released it to public. That in itself was a deliberate decision. And that must have occasioned the decision to, you know, to 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 let people actually look and then see what happens. Uh, It's pretty clear that, uh, you know, GPT 4 can be the basis for businesses, you know. The, the present level of technology. It's clear that some of these are monetizable directly and others are traffic grabbers that can be monetized indirectly. It's clear that the search giants and other giants who own the big AIs are ideally positioned to suck up all the indirect monetization opportunity once they figure out what the most appealing micro applications are. And meanwhile, waiting a bit while regulators and others contemplate official responses to AI will probably end better for the principal actors if the AIs they're contemplating aren't super scary. So, you know, my feeling is business as usual. Nothing unexpected is really happening here.
0: To be continued.
1: Ruthlessly, every week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the exact right word. As, As Emily
1: Bender goes, you're just hyping it up. (laughs) <laughs> it's just a parrot.
0: Well, uh, in another world of of uh, hype, some would argue. Um, uh, though though hype, I'm pretty vulnerable to sometimes. Uh, over in the world of WebAssembly, we've seen a fair bit of activity lately. Uh, Fermion released version one of Spin, its open source tool for building and deploying serverless apps with WebAssembly. Spin's built on top of the WASM time runtime and can be used to deploy locally to Fermion's cloud or to a Kubernetes cluster. The announcement blog describes how all this works. Quote: When handling requests, Spin will create a new isolated WASM Instance corresponding to the WASM module for the matching component, execute the handler function, then terminate the instance. Each new request will get a fresh WASM instance, and we can do this because of the incredibly fast startup time for WASM instances. Unquote. At KubeCon, Fermion also announced that they were providing free key-value storage for serverless functions on their Fermion Cloud service, facilitating stateful serverless apps with WebAssembly. This free preview service includes the following service limits. Maximum key size, 255 bytes. Maximum value size, one megabyte. Maximum number of keys, 1024. And one store per spin application. And you can learn more and work through an in-depth tutorial on the Fermion blog. Uh, this kind of serverless space seems to be where a lot of the, the hype and attention is in the WASM space right now. Uh, so it's a, definitely an interesting tool to play with. Also at KubeCon, Cosmonic announced that their WebAssembly platform as a service has reached open beta built on the open source Wasm Cloud project that Cosmonic donated to the CNCF. The past beta is open to everyone with a free forever tier, and Cosmonic is pitching it as suitable for a wide range of architectures. Cosmonic engineering director Taylor Thomas told TechCrunch, quote, I personally think that within the next three to five years, All fast platforms will be using WebAssembly because it's just the easiest way to get all the language support. But that's one tiny little slice of a much bigger picture. And that's where Cosmonic and Wasm Cloud really shine. We don't lock you into a specific platform architecture. We don't want you to have to say you have to do this as a fast. You can use it as a fast. That's entirely possible. But you can also build monoliths. You can build microservices. You can build event-driven architectures, unquote. Hmm. Elsewhere, Docker Inc. announced the second stage of their Wasm integration initiative. With Technical Preview 2, Docker has integrated several new WebAssembly runtimes in addition to Wasm Edge, which was already used in Technical Preview 1. Now, you also have the choice of the Bytecode Alliance's Wasm Time, Fermions' Spin that we just mentioned a moment ago, or DaysLab's Slight. All of those... Runtime or kind of runtime pluses in the case of uh spin, uh, spin there, uh, all of them leverage the run Wasi project, which helps define a standardized interface between container D and a wasm runtime and ultimately means you can plug your runtime of choice into Docker or indeed Kubernetes and run wasm workloads there. So exciting times in wasm world. <laughs> And that is just about it for this episode's news. But before we go, we've got some parting gifts. Uh, I want to recommend a project I saw on Hacker News. Developer Ali Khaffari shared a Kubernetes operator he wrote in Rust as a boilerplate for others who might want to write Rust operators and wrote a great blog on the project, which can serve as a nice sort of uh, learning resource and starting point for uh, someone trying to build something similar. So you can find this operator on GitHub at ali h AliHKhaffari.com. His name is spelled A-L-Y and then middle initial H and K-A-F-O-U-R-Y slash operator dash R-S. And you can check out his blog at the tech trailblazer dot blog. Any uh, any other parting words, John?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think that's it for today.
0: All right. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we'll have sort of a, a second wave of news from out of KubeCon Europe to share next time around and, and who knows what else. Uh, so that does us for today. Radio Cloud Native releases every other week and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the rest. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye.